Welcome back to the Centre Half Bench, a lighter take on all things AFL. My name is Brenton, and with me is Carl. How are you going, Big Oh, I'm going well, mate. Uh, mate, I'm sorry. Uh, I went through it last week. <sighs> what a ride. Uh, I, I, I do feel for you at the same time, you know. It's a it's an asterisk season anyway. So if we both of our teams won it, anyone would have. Uh... <laughs> you know, I thought last year. I thought last year. Uh, sorry, last week when Swanee was like, "Oh, now nah, good on Collingwood waiting till people could go to the MCG." In this, as terrible as much as I was like, "What a wank statement," I'm also kind of like, "Well, at least if we make the grand final in a future year, I'll be able to go at the MCG." That's like, it. Like the te- and and it. Even- it wasn't meant to be. We've got even, to wait until yeah, we can actually go. wasn't meant to be. And even like the point, like obviously um, the two of us being in Victoria and all the lockdowns and restrictions, I technically wouldn't have been able to like watch the game with my family. The best we would have been able to do is like set up a projector in a park. Like we would have made do. Obviously, I would have loved for my side to be in the grand final and it, uh, we would have made something happen. But in the same way, like you said, and it, like if the Lions had have won the premiership at the Gabba, everybody would have had such an asterisk. Like, oh, they only won it because it was up there, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> anyway, we'll talk more about it later. I was totally devastated on Saturday night. Obviously, um, Chucky winning the uh, winning the Brownlow on, on Sunday night was a bit of a band-aid over the pain, I think. It still is. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, what was your moment of the round? Moment of the round. Uh, it comes from I, I don't know if you noticed uh, in the at the Brownlow there was there was a montage of all the retiring players. Now, technically, he hasn't said anything about retiring. He said, oh, "I'd love to go, and you know, go around one more time, but another club." And that's Heath Shaw. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, he wasn't in the montage, was he? He wasn't in the montage, yeah. and I. I feel like he's the kind of guy that just wants to slip into retirement with no fuss, no nothing. Mm. And it, it just seemed like he he said, I'll go and play elsewhere, but if I don't get picked up, I don't get picked up. Now, I don't think he will go anywhere else, and I think he will either become a media personality or go and join a football club and do do something. Yeah. He's, go play for her. He's a bit of a character. Yeah. Ranking yeah, that's it. So, a game. <laughs> that's it. Uh, no montage, no fuss. I thought it was, you know, it, I just want to commemorate the career that was. And there were some great retirees. I think I was sitting there watching it and yeah. I was chatting to my mate, Hen, and he goes, wow, what a year of retirees. And you go through it and you, you just forget, like, that that class. So, mm. I, lo- I love the way that the Brownlow does it each year and they go through And they do it on grand final day too. And they run through all the players that have, you know, finishing up and all that kind of stuff. And there were some great ones like Ebert. What a fantastic career and what a way to go out on Friday night. Mm. Um, his last act was basically could have could have won them, like basically yeah. won them the game. He doesn't, con- I contest that. They, that they Richmond score, you know what yeah. I mean? Like what a... And what just typified contest. Ebert and like his entire seat, like his entire career was just yeah. putting his body on the line, usually at the detriment of his own health. That's it. So, um, and then during the Brownlow night, every time a Giants player polled, Heath Shaw would go and get up from his seat <laughs> and kiss them on the forehead. I thought it was just, it was hilarious. There, there weren't too many votes going around, but when they did, it was, it was just a funny little, uh, little thing. He, he's, he's great. He's been great for footy and been great for obviously GWS. I think mm. it's, um, you know, you can you can talk about the Collingwood man that he was, but I really think he retires. A, a, obviously, it's a, such a short history, but a great of that football club of GWS, and really, yeah, I think it's uh, um, him going there. Actually, yeah, you know, give give. 
Well, where am I trying to go with this, Brenton? Well, no, no. I think, I think for me, him going there didn't make them relevant, but it gave them that. Like, I think he really contributed to their like steely, unsociable brand. That's like it. that real yeah, yeah, yeah. strength and toughness when real cheekiness. Yeah, absolutely. That real sort of pest mentality. Mm. Do you know? And total question without notice: Did he win a best and fairest with GWS? I don't think he did, no. But he won an All Australian. Did he win two or one? One All Australian jacket because he won. He won another with um, Collingwood, and I think he's only got two. Yeah, right. Because I know they they currently call it um, they call it the uh, the it's the Kevin Sheedy Award. I, I do yeah. believe. Um, but yeah, I uh, oh, mate, you wouldn't. I reckon if there was someone to pick from you, you know, the first ten years of the the history of um, GWS, the Heath Shaw Award. Wouldn't be wouldn't be a bad pick, I reckon. That's it. All right, no, I mate. like that one. My moment. Oh, what of the was round. your moment of the round? My moment of the round was the I got I got two, but my first one was just the community aspect of footy, um, because obviously, you know, as a I'm a high school teacher, uh, and so usually after a win every Monday, I will wear my Lions polo to to school, right? And um, you know, always always uh, get a few comments and things like that. And obviously, being in remote learning, uh, it's been a bit different this time around. And I was saying how I've really enjoyed being able to go back to school and you know talk footy with um, not only my students but with um, my fellow staff members. Anyway, on Friday I went full nuff, mate. I was full Lions gear. I had the hat, had the trackies, I had the polo on. It was like there was no mistaking who I was going for, right? Uh, and so I had like a few, and just the community aspect of it, like getting in. I was teaching my year twelve. I have a couple of Geelong supporters in there and, you know, chatting with them, chatting with them, um, chatting about the game with them and even just like random year sevens who like I might have spoken to once or going like, oh, go Lions, Mr. A and all that sort of stuff, which is, I love that, that community aspect of it. And like, you know, seeing people who are like Tiger supporters and saying, oh, go Tigers and they say, go Lions back to you. I, that's just what football brings people together. It can bring people mm-hmm. together. And that's one of the best parts about footy. Um, so it was that was really great. Um, the two Geelong supporters messaged me um, via our um, uh, the kind of like the school portal messaging board. They I got two emails, one straight after the siren and one the next morning by saying "Go Cats." I was like, "Thanks, thanks, team." I'll just take a mark off all of your sacks. We'll uh, see. <laughs> but no, no, it's, I, I love that. I love that that part of the banter and the and the engagement and the community spirit that footy brings. But um, my real moment of the round, and I think this was a story that kind of developed. I've given Tom Lynch a lot of flack. I've even said um, as early as last week that I don't respect Tom Lynch. But I think, and you're going to talk about it a little bit later as well. But the um, what happened after the game at Adelaide Oval. Um, was was disrespectful to say the least. But um, there was a moment, a really great moment, and kind of like I don't know, it uh, it was a bit weird watching it. Right in that um, Tom mm. Lynch was there, like consoling this this young Port Adelaide fan. Um, and a little bit more of the story came out on Sunday. And this this uh, young man, his name's Archie, uh, and he was a lot of the um, was crap that was happening in the stands around uh, Tom Lynch was happening around Archie. And he was there with his old man and, and the young bloke was getting a bit upset about, you know, the, the he said to his old man, he's like, they're bullying Tom Lynch. Um, for a young fan to recognize the fact that like booing an opposition player yeah. and things like that is not the right thing to do. And he was, uh, he actually asked his old man, hey, can I go, can I go and um, speak to Tom? And his dad was like, yeah, go on, off you go, off you go. 
Uh, and he, he, in tears, obviously, like his side just missed a chance to play in a grand final. He congratulated Tom Lynch on making uh, making it to the big dance once again. I thought, what an incredible moment. Well done for Tom Lynch for actually giving Archie the time and having that great yeah. conversation. It was a, it shone, shone a really great light on Tom Lynch, but also, um, you know, they're not all Port Adelaide supporters of Feral. Some of them like Archie. What a what a great uh, what a great moment I thought for a young man mm. enjoying his footy. So well done, Archie. All right, mate. Talking about that game, take us back there, mate. Take us back to Friday night. Friday night, um, Port Adelaide six four forty defeated by Richmond six ten forty six. And my headline in this one is built different because that's what Richmond are. Mm. Um, Port will be ruining uh, missed opportunities against the Tigers, and they had a very, very similar stat line against their meeting um, from their meeting earlier on in the year. So Port had way more possession, more contested ball. They had 59 inside 50s um, uh, versus 44 for the match, um, and they were only able to get 12 shots from their 59 entries, so nearly 20%. Um, which was really on the back of the Tigers' strangling defense. They didn't allow Port their normal movement inside 50, and I think in front of their home crowd, for Richmond to do that, Richmond can score, and we know that they can score and score quickly. But the way Hardwick, I think Hardwick played Port Adelaide perfectly. He was able to strangle them in their, their basically port they swarm and they uh, try and you know keep the ball inside their 50 but Hardwick identified we don't need to kick a like if it goes to a shootout we'll probably lose this game so we need to strangle them and he did that perfectly um, and, and I just thought you know what watching the game Richmond don't have uh, and it sounds silly you look at the midfield that Richmond has Dustin Martin superstar right Trent Cochin a very very um, you know strong player, but is would, I don't know. Just a quick question of that notice: yeah. Do you think Cochin is an elite midfielder? I think he does little things in games that are elite. Uh, yes, 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 I do think he's an elite midfielder. I think okay. it's just it's just he's he's a moments player. He's a moments player. He's a moments player, yep. but I don't think he's in the same echelon as like a, a danger field or a... No. His on-field leadership, I think, is more than his actual ability because he doesn't have to do that anymore. See, you'll hate me saying things. this, but I think he's similar to Scott Penelbury in that way. No, no, I think he, I think he, he's very similar to Scott Penelbury right. as yep. well. I think Penelbury is probably cleaner in, cleaner in traffic and by foot, but Cochin is, is the better in and under player. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know you got Prestia, who's a you know a ball magnet, but he's not he's not like a he's not a locky Neil. He's not like no, a you know he yeah. gets a lot of the ball, but he doesn't he's not as useful with it. Um, I think if you look at the two midfields, Port Adelaide's is infinitely better. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I just feel like across the spread, they get them. <laughs> Huh? I reckon it's pretty close. I honestly reckon the emergence of Shy Bolton and the ability to swing Dusty through the Tigers' midfield. Sure, Boak was you know the mm. second best midfielder in the league this year, but yeah. and and you know Ollie Wines is um, has has improved as the season's gone. I reckon they're pretty on par. Really? Okay, I, I would say that opinion. on paper, yep. if I had to pick the two, I'm going Port Adelaide's midfield. Yeah, okay, fair enough. On paper, and then I look at Richmond's, and I guess what I'm trying to get at with that is that the uh, yeah the emergence of Sir Bolton, he's come into yeah. this and plays this role. Titch Edwards, all these mm. young Tigers, on paper, they're not household names, but they're they're going to become household names because they're going to be two or you know two time already Premiership players mm. and potentially three time on the weekend. They're, they're, They've Hardwick's done very well to get the best out of this group, um, even with you know uh, 
you know, injuries and whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, and as I said, the Tigers, although seemingly less on the stat sheet, they seemed in control the whole game. It, it, it feels weird because like, the Tigers blew out to like a 10-point lead and you thought, there's no way Porter going to win. You know what I mean? And it was only 10 yeah. points. And you're looking at the score... And it was like 40, it was like, I think it was 40 to 28. And you just thought the Tigers just, they're not going to lose this game. Mm. And it was it was just, it was strange to see they forced contest after contest in their forward half and um, were able to kick relatively easy goals from set shots and like running into goal rather than Port who felt they had to kick miraculous goals. And they did. They kicked beautiful goals from the pocket. and But it felt like every time Richmond kicked an easy one, Port had to work triply as hard to kick a, a goal out of nothing. Um, and as I said, you know, the young boys from... Um, uh, I was talking about the young players from Richmond. The young boys from Port, oh, my God. Unreal. They are built for finals, these boys. And, you know, yeah. mm, Rosie was electric. Dersma, you know, he had nine inside 50s. He was in, like, nine score involvements. He was unbelievable. The bow and arrow whipping it out. <laughs> Although, it was a bit of a quicker draw than I would have liked. I would have liked the oh, accentuation. Yeah. I, f- I feel like it was a bit of a quick draw. would have done less Bang. damage. You know what I mean? <laughs> Um, and uh, although it wasn't his best game, Butters did play, you know, play his role, and he was exciting in moments as well. But nothing compares to the, and I don't care what anyone says, <laughs> the greatest ever big game player I have ever seen, and I think we will ever see, Dusty Martin. Yeah. You know, he's people. People question, oh, you know, oh, the, talk about. I'm not trying to, no disrespect, like talk about Michael Voss, talk about James Hurd and Buckley and, you know, Chris Judd in finals and all that. None of them compare. I'm sorry. Big game players, what Dustin Martin does in games, he only needs a second to change the game. And there were handballs that he did that resulted in goals and his two clean goals that he kicked, you know, if he wins three norms from three grand finals, mate, it's out of the question. There's no greater Mm. finals player than Dustin Martin. Um, my question to you, Brenton. Yeah, man. From this game, um, home final, home crowd, and they've had some games in their state all year. It really feels like the two home teams this week had a massive advantage, um, like pretty much all year, and have had had that ongoing. Is this a wasted opportunity, Port Adelaide, or did they just come up against the best team in the last four years at full tilt? Uh, I certainly think the latter. Um, they had everything in their favour. Obviously, had they had the extra week, uh, extra week off, the you know the uh, the home crowd, as you said, um, and I think that that brought them into the game. That like um, that obviously gave them some sort of an advantage. But I do still think. When I look at the two sides that have made the grand final, for me, they are the two best sides of the competition of 2020. Mm. Um, so, I think, I personally believe, even though I think both Port Adelaide and Brisbane were poised really well to make it to the grand final, I still think upon reflection, if, if I was to look at the entirety of the 2020 season, Richmond was one of the two best clubs for the entire of the season. And they... Mm. So, I think that Port Adelaide might have missed... An, it was everything was in their favour, but I'm not going to say it was a wasted opportunity. I do just think that they just came up against the best side of the last four years, um, as you said, at absolute full tilt. Yeah. Uh, next, I've got another one here. Um, 
or talking about big game players. Love that. Yeah. Who are the best big game players that you've seen? Yeah. Whether that's current or whether that's you remember watching growing up. So, okay. So, a few players who I think... And so, this you're linking this back to Dusty and what we were saying about Dusty yeah, before, yeah. right? So, take Dustin Martin out of the equation. Yeah, sure. Who are your maybe top three best big game players? Yeah. I think the the difference for Dusty and like it, this is still like boggles my brain in that five six years ago we were seeing Dusty who was really good and then remember he'd get exhausted at like three quarter time and he couldn't run out of game mm-hmm. and um, the fact that he is now able to like almost like save some in reserve and just like go to this nut extra level in finals is unbelievable. Um, I th- obviously at like the start of my my you know footballing journey. Um, what Andrew McLeod was able to do on the big stage in grand finals was spectacular. Mm. And again, like I've only seen parts, like um, he was into the twilight of his career, obviously um, the Adelaide um, grand finals and he won two Norm Smiths in a row. Um, Huge player, huge big game player. Um, And I think even those, like those, the big names of the nineties and two thousands in, in Voss heard and Buckley as well. But, Big game players. I'm just trying to think. I would say Andrew McLeod would be one. I'm just trying to think, even thinking about the Hawthorne three-peat, and you could probably put Luke Hodge in there as well, just from a mm. sheer impact. Like, I feel like Hodge would lead Hawthorne and he would, um, you know, he was able to um, be their general. But then he took it to another level in finals, similar to the way that Dusty does. Um, mm. I see for me, like that's different from someone like Voss, who in my personal opinion was, you knew what you were going to get from Vossi every time he got on the park. He was, mm. there was no like oh, a finals gear for Vossi, I would argue like, and, uh, mm. he, he was just, and I would almost say the same about Buckley. Um, mm. I think that they, both of those players were no matter what, and like, you know, to, not to be rude, but Buckley carried that Collingwood side for a few years through there. He, oh, mate, that's not being rude. That's just fact. There is he, no way Collingwood get anywhere near the grand final yeah, without, without him Buckley. dominating <laughs> constantly. You know what I mean? So, and I'm not saying that like. Um, so I think for me, like that going to an extra level, like that big game player finding an extra gear. I think probably those like I'd say McLeod and Luke Hodge are the two that come to mind because I just think that like. You got finals Voss in round three against Carlton at, at Colonial Stadium. If mm. you know what I mean. So what about you? What do you reckon? Stuart Jew. Two thousand <laughs> no, like two... one big game player. No, 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 no. Two thousand and four grand final. He was very, very good. And uh-huh. in, in against uh, two thousand and eight for Hawthorne, basically <laughs> won them the game in both games. Brackets, Those mate. blitzes of cor- <laughs> of quarters. I reckon you want big game. Yeah. Stuart you. You want big game, you want big eater, you want, you know, <laughs> loves eater. a <laughs> loves a pie in retirement. Um yeah. Stuart Jew. Yep. Luke Hodge. Yep. And oh, who was my other one that I had on the tip of my tongue before? See, okay, so oh. what are you thinking of it? I never saw, but obviously hearing the stories about Gary Ablett Senior, like I can't comment because I That's never saw That's the thing. Him, I'm talking yeah. I'm commenting yeah. on people that I've yeah, seen agreed. play. Agreed. Yeah. So I'm sure, so like, watching the older I, people. I grew up watching a lot of Port Adelaide mm. when we were younger because Port and Collingwood were constantly, you know, yeah. playing in finals off and I watched a lot of Brisbane, um, you know, who were constantly playing. Oh, of course, how could I forget? Um uh, the Stevie J show. 
Oh, yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, welcome to the Stevie J show. You got front row tickets. <laughs> one of the best in, one of the best uh, insults of all. No, it's not really an insult. It was just a sledge. Just a sledge. It's best sledge. That's yeah. what I'm looking yeah. for. <laughs> that 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 for me. When uh, I think it was against the young GWS boy, I think uh, I think it might have been Aiden Kennedy, and he goes to him, "Oh, um, have you got your tickets?" And he goes. Uh, it goes, oh no, and he kept saying it all game. Have you got tickets? Have you got your tickets? And then, like, he's like, oh, I don't know idea what he's talking about. And then he walked up to him at the end of the game and shook his hand. And he goes, oh, um, I'm glad you got your tickets for today. And then he had no idea. Gary Ablett walks past and goes, Why does he keep asking me if I've got tickets? And he goes, Oh, because you got front row seats to the Stevie J show. <laughs> To this day, it is my favorite sledge yeah. footy, and yeah. I think it's just so clever. I might even be saying it wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's something, it's something like, like that. Yeah, yeah it was something yeah. like that. <laughs> Stevie J, Stuart Jew, yep. and um, Luke Hodge are probably my three from the modern era. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would obviously, you know, look with my Collingwood glasses on, I would say, um, oh, you can't go past Voc- uh, Voss, Buckley, and Hurd. Yeah. But Scott Pendlebury is also a big game player as well. Proven in finals, played in big games, won Norm Smith's, you know, I won a Norm Smith. So I think, um, yeah, he's another one. In a draw. Jeez, shame he couldn't get his side over the line. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did a week later. <laughs> did Hayes win it the week later? Did he win the Norm Smith when you... When you... He won the Norm Smith in the in the winning one. In the winning one, yeah. And Pendles mm-hmm. won it in the draw. Yeah, right. Should have won it in the draw as well. <laughs> Give me your votes, mate. My votes in this one, I gave three votes to Dusty. Um, I know Toby Nankervis is stiff here, but I'm not giving it to a Ruckman. Um, <laughs> there were some handballs and kicks that just hit differently in this game. Uh, clean in the stoppages resulted in goals. 21 possessions, six score involvements, 11 contested, three clearances and two goals. Really the difference when it got tight. I gave the two to Nank the Tank. Um, and by no means uh, is he close to the best Ruckman in the comp. But in finals, the way he's come to play in the last couple of seasons, he's been a real warrior since crossing to Richmond. Um, he can't jump more than five centimetres, but he crashes packs, he uses his body, and he took four contested marks, including one big contested one late that I thought really just like held and uh, held the game and was able to basically Richmond to run out the clock. Just real quick, um, he lay- because yeah. like that, I, I don't know, this might be a real niche reference, but Clark Keating for the Brisbane Lions, big finals player, like just became... Mm. Something else in finals, similar yeah, in to in finals, Nate. a different beast. Uh, it's I, like it's like, and, and Geelong fans would say Maxi Rook, you know, yeah. that kind of player that just, you know, he he's a good player. He does what he does, serviceable role player. But in finals, yeah, oh, stood it up, different yeah, beast. <laughs> uh, Nate the Tank laid ten big tackles, had nineteen hitouts, and remarkably five rebound fifties from a big man. So he wasn't scared to get back, and I think it, you know. Put his body in front of Charlie mm. Dixon, which really nullified his. Charlie, I thought, played a, a very you know down game, but at the same time, I just think he was nullified because Nan Curvis pulled himself back into the contest. So great coaching and um, selfless uh, by Toby. I gave the one vote to one of the Port kids, Connor Rossi, because I think mm. this kid's just built for finals. Two amazing goals, five tackles, three of them inside fifty. He took four marks and fourteen possessions. And I know there's always going to be a debate on, you know, who's going to be the better players? Who's the best player of the draft? Sam Walsh. Um, we haven't seen him in finals, so we can't comment on it yet. Um, but I just think something always pulls me back to Connor. Something always pulls me back. He, he may not have a great game, like an amazing game like this all the time. But when he does, you just think, oh, 
this kid's this kid's one of going to be one of the greats of the game. I just hope that he continues down this path and bridges the worst to his best. You know what I mean? And starts playing the electrifying Connor Rossi that we want to see, um, which I think is what Sam Walsh has done very well. He's now ba- basically in in his second season become very consistent. I want to see Connor do that next year. So mm. one vote goes to him. Tell me about the next game. Oh, mate, the next game was my Saturday night heartache. Brisbane, 6-6-42, being defeated by Geelong, 11-6-82, to see the Cats get home by 80 points. And my headline here, mate, is Big Cats of the Jungle are not the Lions. Because I said in the preview, and I said it lots of times, and I almost thought it was becoming cliched, or maybe I was, you know, just buying into... Um, the height, but I, you know, I spoke about that the game was going to be won in the middle, and how Geelong won the game in the middle um, back when the two sides met uh, in the home and away season. For me, the Cats were on top in the middle, and it enabled them to win this game. I thought that the Brisbane mm. um, backline was very good, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. But the fact that Geelong were they were on top in the middle. They consistently beat Brisbane to the clearances. Uh, and it was on the back of that that I think enabled them to win this game. In saying that, their defensive, Geelong's defensive pressure was top notch. All around the ground, they totally nullified Brisbane's ability to run and carry, which has been that attacking style of the Lions that has been so effective this year. And it was really what beat Richmond on the counter-attack. Geelong were better set up, and I wouldn't be surprised if they super-analyzed the Richmond game. They were so set up that they totally blocked out the corridor. I reckon the Lions attacked the corridor a couple of times successfully, but the Geelong press was outstanding. And so to to be honest... Brisbane's backline stood up, but Geelong were able to use their defensive pressure and their centre clearance domination to win this game. Uh, the Lions were their own worst enemy, honestly. There were poor kicks, uh, even um, shots on goal late in the end. Um, Daniel Rich got an absolute, um, you know, if we want to talk about rubber the green from the umpires, got a, a cheap in the back and then shanked the kick. Ryan Lester got a 50-meter penalty, not a noted goal kicker, but he shanked it as well. Um, our goal kicking was okay. Um, you know, a, a scoreline of 6-6 in the end, but a couple of wasted opportunities through there. Even like coming out of the back line, like poor kicks, scrubbing kicks and missed tackles. The Lions have been building their game on the back of huge amounts of pressure. And again, it was what beat Richmond back in the qualifying final. But in this game, they weren't able to bring the same amount of pressure. Too many um, Geelong players were able to break Brisbane tackles. At halftime, I was optimistic. The Lions had had an extra week off. It was the scoreline was close, but the Cats were able to stay on top for the uh, for the majority of the game. Things I learned about the Lions: Charlie Cameron is an is an electric big game player. You know, you could almost uh, he's it's too soon for him to be included into that conversation. Um, but I still think he's he's proven now that he can stand up in a big finals on the big stage. You know, he's kicked. Uh, he kicked a he kicked a couple of goals earlier, and you know, for my sake and the Lions' sake, I wish he had have uh, gone on a little bit. I think Lockie Neal was a shining light. Um, there were five, but uh, you know, he had a quiet first quarter again, but he really cemented his impact on the game for the rest of the three quarters. Outside of those two, there were some good players, but the Lions had far too many passengers, especially in the middle of the ground on a preliminary final night. You can't have that many players not contributing if you want to um, make it into a grand final. 
Discounting their post-buy mishap, I think Geelong have had an excellent final series. Obviously, um, you know, there was a, a bit of talk about Collingwood going through and things like that. And they totally squashed that. And then obviously with this having to go up to Brisbane on their home deck, looking ahead to a, um, to a home grand final for the Brisbane Lions, which is likely to never happen again. Uh, I think they've they've done really well. They executed a perfect game plan and they are really well poised to farewell an absolute champion of the game. I said earlier in the year, he's, for me, the best player of the modern era in Gary Abler Jr. And to see him out with a premiership would be a fantastic way for Gaz to end his career. But that would make him a four-time premiership player along with a few of those other... Oh. Did he win one? No, he didn't win one in 2011. Did he? Was that, he with that Gold was Coast the, that, then? That was yeah, the that was the, that was the thing. It was like that. That that's like you know, he should have stayed that that's one right. more year and gone there. Yeah, so he'll be a three-time premiership player. Because then that was that was that was Scott's first year as well, wasn't it? Because Bomber and Gaz both left, and then they went on to win yeah. the flag. Yeah, right. So look, to be a three-time um, premiership player for Gaz would be a, a huge accomplishment. Uh, my question to you is that we saw the full, the all Australian fullback against the all Australian full forward, and it was a mega battle of two footballing titans. And I, I honestly loved it. I thought both players had a great game, but I wanted to know from you who won. Now the stats, I think, um, maybe it's just me and my own lines bias, but I thought the stats stats don't perfectly demonstrate um, the matchup. But I'll go through them. So Tom Hawkins had twelve touches. He went at thirty three percent disposal efficiency. He took five marks, all of them inside 50. He ended up kicking two goals and three behinds and had two goal assists. On the flip side, Harris Andrews had 10 touches with seven intercept possessions. He had three intercept marks, three rebound 50s, and five one percenters. Who would you give the give the votes to in that matchup? I, I'm going to give it to Hawkins. Yeah. I, I, think that, I think that Harris Andrews in the first quarter was so, and I think he would have had a bulk of his, because I remember, uh, I mean, I would, I'm would. i not going to say the first quarter, the first half. Yeah. I would say that Harris Andrews was very set up beautifully, and you were watching it, and you thought, mate, they can't let Harris Andrews do this all night. Mm. And the space that I think Dangerfield and Rowan ended up creating for Hawkins, as you said, he kicked two, three. He could have easily kicked four goals. Mm. A couple of those were some pretty easy misses, on Hawkins' behalf. Now, um, has he had he kicked four goals? It wouldn't be a question. You know, mm-hmm. he's definitely given Andrew Andrews a bath. He allowed five marks inside fifty, but he's going up against the best key forward in the competition. Um, I, I thought maybe yeah, Harris Andrews started to win the battle at the start, but I think Hawkins took over. And mm-hmm. I think you know, you, like you said, he kicked two goals. He could have had four. He had two goal direct goal assists. You know, it's just how Hawkins plays. He's he's so damaging and so dangerous. And look, to keep him to two goals is a win mm-hmm. for Harris Andrews. But at the same time, he I don't think he th- he gets the chocolates in the contest. I think to have five scoring shots is really the difference here. I think you know mm. maybe even four. Like from watching the game, I I really very much do agree with you about that. It was um, Andrews' first half was probably had him in front, but I think towards the end of the game, you probably have to give it over. I was really impressed with young Jack Payne coming in for Darcy Gardner. Huge out for the. Yeah, Lions. he was very good. Yeah, um, but I thought Payne did a really good job. He almost played that floating intercept role that Andrews played in the mm. qualifying final. Um, yeah, but I I too probably have to go to Hawkins there. Putting my allegiance aside. Carl, my next my next question is a little bit uh, a little bit deeper, a little bit more philosophical. 
The two best sides in the competition are in the grand final. I said that um, already. But for the second year in a row, the two sides that have finished on top of the ladder haven't made the grand final. Is playing two games in four weeks unloading players too greatly? So obviously having that that buy before we hit the final series, and then if you win the qualifying final, you go into another buy. So two is two games in four weeks unloading players too greatly, and should a week off only be reserved for teams who win the qualifying final? Should we scrap the the home and away season to the finals buy? Um, it's a tough one. I actually do, I do like that bye week in between finals because I really think that it, it allows for a cherry ripe week one. You know, it, it gives it gives those sides that, you know, are locked into the finals a chance to get themselves right. Get, you know, maybe someone's a, a week away. It gives them a chance to make sure that they're back. And I think the perfect example is Western Bulldogs of 2016. You know, having them lose all those players, but they play a week before. The Bulldogs get knocked out. No chance. They don't have Bont. They don't have McRae. They don't have Dunkley. They don't, they don't have their midfield. They lose that game. They all come back, and they win the first final. And then that belief starts to set in. And I think... I personally think it's a rubbish stat not playing enough games in, enough, in a smaller amount of weeks. Remembering that all year, the teams have played on such short turnarounds, they'd be loving an extra few days, you know what I mean, to, mm-hmm. to, to relax. And even then, I think Buckley said something in the uh, in the um, first week after they beat West Coast, and he said, oh, something about, oh, it's a, somebody in the, in the media said, oh, it's a quick turnaround for you guys. He goes, we played three games in 10 days, you know what I mean, like during the year. This is not a quick turnaround. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm in the boat that I think we need to have that week before finals. I think it's good. It's good. And okay. to be honest with you, I, I really don't think it matters. Uh, I'd be interested to see what the stats were of the first two teams over the last 20 years or yeah. since we've had the top eight system yeah. not making it through. But yeah, uh, look, there's... I don't really think it's a big deal, to be honest. I was having a look, and so obviously the um the as I said, the last two two years that um the top two sides haven't uh, haven't gone through, um and, but then twenty seventeen it was Adelaide and Richmond finished one and two and they made the grand final, um yeah. you know and then going back it was kind of like one of the top two sides back to until up to twenty sixteen, so twenty sixteen the Swans finished on top of the ladder and then they lost to the Dogs on grand final day, um. The flip side for me is that the season is supposed to be a war of attrition. It's supposed to be battle of the fittest. Who's the strongest survivor? And I think that if... I, I do question just how much how much of an impact it has. Like, And I, I, I understand the sentiment of like the whole fairy tale of, you know, we want to see the best teams going at it and then you know, injury list shouldn't come into it. But I also feel that you lose some type of conditioning. I would... Th- I would propose, and oh, I'd like sure. to hear from the players by only playing two games in in a month. In a month, especially when we've been playing, you know, in in the in that month earlier, you'd played six games in the month. Um, mm. So I look, I th- and as I said, it's a bit of a deeper philosophical question. I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer. Um, and look, it's probably I'm probably just bitter that my side's been bitten and gone out again. <laughs> but um, yeah, look, it's a it's an interesting one. Um, I personally am probably in the camp that I would rather it not be the buy between the home and away and the and the final mm. series. I'd rather it just continue. I kind of personally feel that 
it it's a real break in momentum. I think this year it was almost appreciated because we'd had so much footy back to back to back to back. Yeah. But I, I, I think it just it I think really you only have to look halt to the season. Yeah, I think you only have to look at why that was brought in. And I think it was a game where Fremantle and uh, Hall, uh, yeah, North Melbourne... Yeah, Ross Lyon ruined it for everyone. <laughs> they were... And and he did it multiple years in a row. And then other teams started to do it as well. Yeah. And that final round for teams that were safe and knew that they weren't going to move around too much in the eight and if they'd locked in a home final or whatever, I think it was something like there were 24 changes in, a, in one game. Mm. Now... If your club's doing that, and I know that's the extreme level, but it was always the thing, oh, that last round, do you rest them up? Do you go yeah. in hard? Or, and I think just having that week off means that we see teams play out a full season. Mm-hmm. And I know the sting gets taken out in certain aspects of the game as you're getting later in the season. You know, Hawthorne um, playing Gold Coast, you know, they bring back all their retirees, all that kind of stuff, and it, it's a nothing game. But I just think... It's it's fine being there. I don't have an issue with it, and I don't really think there should be much of an issue with them playing, you know, two games in a month versus three games in a month versus four games in a month. They're there to play footy, and you can still keep your conditioning going. Mm. You know, you can still go and you know so. have scratch so. matches yeah. and scrimmages and stuff it's like that. So it's not yeah. the same. Like you look at Geelong, like their their record stands of like how much it affects them. You know, anyway, anyway, very good. Yeah, but Thank then you. there are other teams. There are other teams that. Have a great after-buy records. You know what no, I mean? For sure. So, for sure. Mm. I gave three votes to Gary Ablett. The little master wound back at the clock in this one. It was so great to see. I saw that there was a uh, side-by-side of the 2009 um, preliminary, Geelong preliminary final and then the, the 2020 preliminary final. Center tap, down to Ablett, sprints out of the middle, kicks a goal. Um, it, fantastic to see. Like I said, champion of the game. Uh, and I, I do hope that he, he he's able to win another flag. 14 touches, 4 inside 50, 7 score involvements, and 2 goals too. I gave 2 votes to Sam Minagola. And I think what, what sort of typified Geelong's performance in this one is that there were so many contributors for the Cats. Like, across the board, you could have mm. thrown a blanket over players to get involved. Like, um, Stewart was incredible. Um, you know, I spoke about Hawkins and like, kicking 2 goals, 2 goals assists. Like, basically, he was responsible for 4 of Geelong's goals. Um, Mitch Duncan, another fantastic game. But I went to Managola just because I, I really enjoyed his work this year. And I think he, he played his role as that sort of inside mid, but also then moving to the wing and like transitioning the ball. And he did a lot of forward transition in this game, which I, I really liked from Managola. He was one of the players for Geelong who stood out to me. Uh, 19 touches, 7 marks, 4 in sub 50s and 10 score involvements for Managola. And I gave one to Lockie Neal. After another first, uh, sorry, another quiet first quarter, he stood up to make his mark as a champion in the competition. I think there's been a lot of talk about, you know, he's a Tom Mitchell and he's not very effective and he's just an accumulator. Um, obviously, mate, a record Brownlow night. Um, the highest average votes per game in Brownlow medal history with 1.82, 31 votes in 17 games. If you adjust that out for a 22-game season, he could have had 40 Brownlow votes. Like he, mm. he dominated the competition through the regular season, and I was really hoping that he would be able to dominate the finals. And like I said, he, he had a, a, a quiet quarter again, but he really tried to drag this line side across the line, in my opinion. Um, kicked two really important goals and had a goal assist to go along with 24 touches and eight clearances. All right, mate. 
a few positives through there. Not so many for me, but what it's time for a negative. <laughs> What's your shank of the week? My shank of the week, going back to Tom Lynch uh, earlier, um, I actually I, I actually didn't know that the little boy uh, was upset because of, you know, mm. what had happened. I thought Tom Lynch saw him crying and, and you know, you and I, we're not the biggest fans of Tom Lynch, but it no. was obviously a lovely um, gesture. But throwing anything at a player oh, is disgusting. Absolutely. And for the bloke who threw the, I think it was a, a Jim Beam and Coke or... Cola or whatever, all over um, Lynch as he was being interviewed. It's real, real poor behaviour. And you know, you have you're one of the lucky ones in 2020 to be able to go and watch footy, a game that a majority of the country hasn't had the luxury to do. And even the ones that are living in the state haven't been able to go to because tickets are so rare and few and far between, and capacity and all that. And you use that as your opportunity to throw food or throw a drink at a player just because you think he's a bit of a peanut. Yeah, of course. I'd love to throw a meat pie at a player, you know. <laughs> Would you? No, you wouldn't. No, no, I wouldn't. No, no I wouldn't. you wouldn't. <laughs> that's, that's such low. Like, imagine the dollars yeah. this bloke must be on. He would have paid 50 bucks for that Jack and Coke at the footy. That's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, know? just throwing he, your money away. Either either that or his his mate bought that round, but... Um, oh, we're not, I don't want this, but... <laughs> I hated it. But I to really do to do it. that, yeah, like yeah. no player deserves it. Uh, you know, we, we talk so much about, um, you know, the, what the players have gone through this season. And okay, yeah, they're 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 getting paid to do what they love, but they've gone through sacrifices too mm. in terms of you know family not being able to see them, loved ones, all that kind of stuff. And the players have been away for a hundred days of the year to you know give something back. And for one idiot to do this, I just think you know what, real. Real Alberton type operators, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, that little boy, though, to his credit, yeah, what well um, call, calling it out, uh, and I think that's that's the that's what we need to do. We need to mm. call these people out. That guy should not be able to go to the footy ever again. We don't need that. We don't need that kind of behaviour. Yeah, call it out, stamp it out. I like it. What's your shank? Made it first one, a little one. Um, obviously, a very different Brownlow uh, medal count on on uh, Sunday night. Um, I've, I've spoken about very proud of my boy Lockie, um, but <laughs> I know we're in a COVID normal situation. But uh, Lockie, congratulations! Can you please award yourself the medal? Like, surely yeah. we can have someone. Surely they can lower it onto him <laughs> or something. Just have it coming out. You know, like, it, the, like a, what do you call it? Yeah. A little drone to yeah, just yeah. like drop a it down drone onto drop it on. him. You know, even like the, you know, With like Matt the Matt face on it. <laughs> <laughs> The grandma like the grippy sticks, like you have like the the little claws, the little claw to help yeah. help old ladies pick stuff off of the ground. Surely, surely yeah. someone could have had the claws and just put the put claw it over his head. The fact that he was That's like he didn't even know where it was. Where he am I going? Around, he goes, oh, it's over here. Wait, wait, wait. Oh wait, it's behind me. Hang it on. was so bad. Well, I thought that obviously, given the circumstances, the fact that we were able to have a Brownlow medal, I honestly thought it was going to be more like the All Australian count, where it was all done remotely and a bit of a zoom. You can call. high five. You can lock arms, yeah. but you can't put a medal on a bloke. Pull yeah, your head give in. me a spell. Give me an absolute spell. Um, even put a mask on for two seconds. We've seen all the boys down in Melbourne doing, being all masked up. Exactly. They're in. It was at Brisbane anyway. <laughs> like, mm. like it, oh, anyway, I, so, so that was a that was a bad look. I feel unfortunately. I feel I would have loved to obviously in a in a in a world before COVID for free. Do you know it would have been lovely? Nat Fife to give Neil the Brownlow. That would have been a great moment. Do you know what would have been a nice touch? What's that? Because he's there anyway. Mm-hmm. 
Simon Black. Oh, giving it to him. Oh, that would have been amazing. That would have been, would have been a nice touch. touch. Or, yeah. you, you know, he's he's there. He's been commentating on the games. Even I know I he never won one, one yeah. but, you know, Alistair Lynch, he's been commentating on games. He's there. He's in the bubble, mm. you know. A, a Brisbane player giving it to him or, like, an ex-Brisbane champion, yeah. that would have been a nicer touch. I don't think Fife was in... He was in WA. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's no, not, no, no. Yeah. not possible for him to do yeah. it, but there would have been a way for them to do it. And we've seen so much this year of people touching and high-fiving and... Yeah. It was the most ridiculous thing I've ever so seen. Dumb. It was so yeah. dumb. I think they were really, they were really careful not to make it out to be a big, like we're having a big party in Queensland, Coppet Victoria. I think that was like mm. they were really trying to make a big note of that and how. Um, and look, I appreciate it. And like I said, it was a bigger event than I thought they were going to be able to pull off. Um, but I mm. thought that was that was a questionable moment. Sure, surely we could have done. They're all that. sitting at the table, not one point yeah, five meters yeah, apart, and yeah, no one exactly. could put a medal on him. Exactly. Please. Anyway, um, but my, look, um, my true shank is, um, and it, please don't don't take this the wrong way, but it's the situation that has led to the the passing of of Jacinda Barclay. Uh, yeah. I want to talk about just what an incredible athlete this young, a young Australian was, mate. She grew up in Perth playing footy against the boys, as a lot of the young women did who were, you know, 29, mm-hmm. 30 years old. You know, if you wanted to play footy, there was fewer women's leagues. You had to play like the junior footy with, um, against against guys. And then she, so she turned her eye to, to the baseball diamond, a right-arm pitcher, playing state baseball at the age of 15 and then made the national team by the age of 17. She represented Australia at five World Cups. And then you know what? She went, yeah, baseball's all good and well, but I, you know, I want to play that other American sport. I want to play a bit of American football. Now, at the time, I think it was... It was called the LFL, and it's now called the Legends Football League. But the women's for women to play American football in the US, it was the Lingerie Football League, which is such a load of crap. And I think it just so it just shines such a light on how far we've come on gender equality within sport, and the fact that now we don't have to sell women's bodies in order for them to play, um, you know, equal opportunities to play sport. And um, Jacinda was a big part of that. Uh, you know, she spoke about um, the fact that she was uh, she was in such support of what the AFLW was doing. Um, and so, look, just to go back, she she wanted to play American football. She she wasn't able to because of some visa issues in getting her over to the US. So. She, there was one season of American, oh, sorry, of Australian LFL. Uh, she led the new her New South Wales team to a final. She was the she was the quarterback for the New South Wales team. She was nominated as the best offensive player in the league. And then the next year later, she was picked up by Chicago and we went, we'll sort out all your visa issues. You come pay for us. She won a championship in her first year for in her first year with the Chicago Bliss as their first starting quarterback. Uh, and then AFLW started up, and she thought, "What an what an incredible thing!" Um, she was quoted as saying, "Women women's sport doesn't need to show off their bodies to be successful. We need support, nurturing, and facilities, and that's everything that the AFLW is offering." So she was one of the inaugural players for the GWS Giants, uh, and unfortunately, she wasn't able to. She she played all of the first season and part of the second. She was still on their list, um, but she had been placed on the on the um, on the inactive list and wasn't going to appear in the 2021 season. Um, for me, this this strikes home for me personally. So I'm currently doing my masters, and I'm currently um, part of my 
thesis is all about um, gender equality and physical education and just the disadvantage that young women face within sport and physical education. So reading this about Jacinda and like her experience is exactly what I've, I've kind of been studying and what I'm a real advocate for within um, physical education and sport. But her passing is so tragic. At 29 years of age, there's been very little detail, but um, they're, they're, you know, I'm, I don't want to speculate, but um, it, it, they're, they're, it's a tragic, it's a tragic circumstance, right? It is, mm-hmm. it's, it's, um, it's been really tragic. And I think the the one thing that I really want to recognize is that this year, 2020, has been unlike any other, and people are doing it really tough during COVID, especially those in Victoria, um, but all across Australia, all across the world, people can't see their loved ones, people being in, in restrictions and being in lockdown, and it's it's had a real effect on, on, a, on a, a vast amount of people. So, I just wanted to quickly say a quick shout out from me, um, put your arm around one another, yeah, just be a good human, a little bit more respect, a little bit of care, ring your mates and don't be afraid to talk about your mental health. I just wanted to put it out there. Um, it's really important, We, you know, especially in Melbourne now, some new restrictions for us, 25Ks, organize to meet up with a mate that you haven't spoken to in a park. You know, Carl, we should get together, get in a park, mate, have a chat and have a yeah. hangout. Hey, how about that? You, Sounds beautiful. Uh, I, I honest, honestly, you and I getting together every Monday or Tuesday to talk about footy has been fantastic for me, and I love you know the relationship that we have and our ability to do this together. But yeah, for sure, people are doing it tough in COVID. Reach out to your mates and, and just for everyone. I know everyone's on edge in a little bit, and you know you can see it in the supermarkets and things like that. Put your arm around everybody, a little bit more respect and care, and just recognize that some people are doing it really tough. And if you if you are feeling, um, you know, if you are ever in, in trouble, Lifeline 13, 11, 14, or you can go to lifeline.org.au. There are people to help you. Calling out for help is the hardest part. So, I just wanted to say that. Well, a bit of a no, somber Well note. said, mate. Very Thank well you, said. Mate. I appreciate it. Uh, let's let's do some team reviews. So we started this last week talking about the bottom ten. I now we're now going to talk about the teams that who made the finals but didn't quite make it into the top eight. All right, uh, why don't you kick us off, mate? Okay, so we're starting off with the we're we're, we're going to go sort of down. It's not going to be based on ladder position. Mm. Just going to be about how they got knocked out of finals. Love it. Elimination. So starting off, we've got the dogs. Um, now they finished seventh for the season, and my season review score is a C. Now, remembering that this list is full of talent, they went out and got the pieces. They spent a lot of cash. They got rid of picks, you know, to get the two key pillars that they needed, and they fell short, both of them, in a lot of games this season. They should be contending for flags, this list. Remembering they won one four years ago, they've gone out and bought what they've needed, um, and not being a filler in the eight. And right now, it just seems like unless they take that next step, they are just going to be in that middle of the run. Um... What they need, a bit of list health. Astronaut needs to get healthy for a full season. They need to not play Dunkley in the ruck, for God's sake, and just back their system. <laughs> maybe go after a small lockdown or medium-sized defender, you know, down back. Uh, maybe get in a Neville Jetta. Um, you know, he's a little bit just um, happy with Melbourne, but wants that third year or that, that two-year contract. Maybe go after them, get a nice lockdown defender. Go after a Tom McDonald, you know, a good shout, someone that can play up high, 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 half forward, but also go down defense as a swing man. I think that's what they need, a little bit of stability. Um, I think they have the pieces to be a top four side, so I'm going to say they're going to rise uh, in 2021. I'm going to back them. Um, their best is very, very good. They just need to fix their defense and bridge their best to their worst. 
What I about like you, it. mate? I like it. Uh, first up for me, we have obviously the West Coast Eagles who were also eliminated in that first week of the finals. I'm giving them a D overall, mate. In the 1979 Mad Ma- uh, George Miller's debut film, Mad Max, absolute classic. If you haven't watched it, go do yourself a favor. In the opening scene, the Knight Rider absolutely destroys a small town. He's created absolute carnage, driven through caravans, nearly uh, run over a small kid, and the, and the coppers are trying to chase him. Charlie's copped a saucepan to the throat, and Goose tells Max that the situation is 100% snafu. Max asks, is he okay? And he replies, nothing a year in the tropics can't fix. I reckon Adam Simpson, the coach of the West Coast Eagles and their CEO, Trevor Nisbet, would have had exactly the same conversation. They would look back on this season as what an absolute carnage at everything that went on. From the excuses in the Queen's Lab hub to then can they return and perform, this list is incredible. And in glimpses, they show just how amazing they are. But this is an absolute write-off for the West Coast Eagles. And mm. I'm backing them in. I do think that their first draft pick is number 30 in this dra- in, in the 2021 um, national draft. Or sorry, this year's draft. Um, but they don't need picks right now. I think we saw glimpses of, and especially when like Tim Kelly, equal um, club Brownlow leader for West Coast uh, in his first year at the club. They were, they were, and especially towards the back end of the season, they started to gel and connect. I think there were a few games there where they had a lot of their key players out with injury and balancing your injuries is part of, obviously, um, part of the season. But I'm tipping them to rise. They finished fifth. I do think they're a top four side. They need a big reset in the offseason, put this one behind them, and to have a fresh start in 2021. So Collingwood uh, are the next ones to be knocked out, and they finished eighth. Um, uh, and my grading on the season is a D. Um, normally, you know, you can be a little bit forgiving when you have injuries to key players, and it's no secret we had our fair share of injuries to key players this year, but we were far too sporadic with our form throughout the year. Our best looked like, you know, earlier on that we could contend for the premiership and we are playing a really good brand of footy, and at worst you would think that we were a bottom four side. Mm. We need to focus on fixing the forward line, and the only thing that stopped me from giving them an F was a win in finals. Um, even then, the loss by 60-plus points showed uh, that we weren't um, there just yet, and we should be contending, not putting performances out like that on the park. So it's um, like a below yeah. expectations. Yeah, I reckon, you, I reckon you're a C or a C-plus, mate. That's a, that's no, a harsh I reckon, rating. No, we, we, we should have been top four this year, and we should have made the pre... We should have been vying for it. It was either prelim or bust for me this year. Yeah. I thought with the list, the way it was, okay, we had our injuries... But it's no excuse, really. Yep, At the end of the day, Richmond copped the same amount of injuries and they're playing in a grand final. <laughs> I know Richmond's a different team, but there's enough star power on this list to really do it. And unfortunately, um, not living up to expectations. Mm-hmm. What we need... Now, it's pipe dream stuff, and I've spoken to you about it, but I'm not um, I'm not saying blow up the list, but there's obvious there are there's an obvious hole... Okay, in Collingwood's team right now, and it's in their forward, forward line. line. <laughs> and Mason Cox is not the player that is going to win you a premiership as a forward that's going to kick you 50-plus goals. We don't have that player in our side. Brody Majacek is an excellent medium-sized forward that can you know kick his 30 to 40 goals a year, and he has done that before. But unfortunately, we don't have that third option, that, that first-choice option. So, for Collingwood, this is what they need to do, okay? They need to keep Darcy Moore, which they've done. They need to keep Josh Dacos, which they've signed. They need to keep Jordan Dugowie. He's had a down year, 
but um, we need to make sure he gets what he needs to stay, and we need to keep Brody Meyer check. We need to trade Trelaw, and this yeah. is this is this is tough. Um, and I don't like you know talking down on players, but I just don't think. And this is this is might be maybe even on a knock. He just for a guy that gets you thirty plus possessions a game, he doesn't do enough to warrant his impact on field. With his 30 possessions, most of them are kicked over the head or handballs over his head and all that kind of stuff. And he's a fantastic player and he can break neck speed. And he, in, a, in a different side, maybe he will flourish. But in Collingwood's midfield, he almost makes it harder for us to... And I'm going to be honest, Jack Crisp, with our, with our backs right now, I would rather Jack Crisp playing in the middle than Adam Trelaw. Mm. He's more clean, he's more damaging by foot, and he's a great inside 50 kick. So I'd be trading out Trelaw for a high pick to the Gold Coast or wherever they need to get him. Um, they need to focus uh, on trading Tom Phillips. Unfortunately, uh, it's going to be hard for him to cement his spot. We've got great wingers at the moment, and potentially Mason Cox if it means f- freeing up space and cash. Okay. What are you going to get a bag of chips for him? Huh? What are you going to get for Coxie a bag of chips? No, well, bag of chips. I'm, I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying for cash. I'm not saying. Oh, for, for cash. Saying, okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. so for Sorry. us to free <laughs> up because he's gonna he's gonna command. I think he's triggered something in his contract that puts yeah, him close to five hundred a year. Bloody now up. he's not worth that. I'm sorry. As as good as he is, he's not worth five hundred mm. a year. Um. They should be gunning for Jeremy Cameron if they've got the cash. They need to go hard, and if not. Go for Jack Gunston and get get somebody that complements the forward line. And him and Majacek might be a good tandem couple. Um, even then, if they can't get in someone like that, maybe try and target a Zach Merritt who is also disgruntled. Maybe get a more inside midfielder to facilitate. Um, at the moment, they're playing Penderbury as an inside mid when we need him distributing the ball, not mm. going in and winning the ball. Mm. Um and just try and get as many future draft picks as possible so we can get Nick Davis next year. <laughs> uh, sorry, Nick, <laughs> Nick Dacos. Um, we've freed up some cap space with Maine coming up with his big contract. Beams looks to be off our books finally. And retirements to Varco and Reed. Get Tom Langdon and how healthy. That's that's the mold. You know, yeah. A bit more in-depth, but that's it's my team. So, I like and, it. And it's, no, it's no, our no. podcast, so we can do what we want. Do what we want. <laughs> I think, and here's the thing. Like yeah, like I'm gonna say, we're gonna fall. I think we'll rise. I think if we bridge the gap yeah. on our best and our worst, we definitely we should be a top four side, especially if we make some clever moves. We showed early we can play good football and contending footy when we have plays with a little bit of cohesion. Loss of how I think and other key players like Pendle, Sidebottom, Moore, and Langdon for lengthy spells of the season showed obvious cracks in the team where their leadership has obviously been there in the past. It's not there. Um, so getting them healthy, getting them on the park would go a long way in 2021. So that's my grade, but yeah, D. Ah, fair enough, mate. The uh, the other side to be uh, being knocked out in, in the semi-final was St. Kilda. Uh, and I'm going to get... I've always had a soft spot for St. Kilda, so this might be a little bit biased, but I'm giving them the highest grade that we've seen so far this season. In fact, it's the highest grade up to this point so far this season. And that's an A, because I truly believe that St. Kilda exceeded the expectations of the majority of the footballing world. Mm. Um, winning a final, even if it was an uncontested affair, is a big tick for this footy club. And they will be better for the finals experience. Even the game, uh, you know, the, their blowout final against Richmond, they will be better for having experienced that and having experienced the pressure that comes with a big final. You know, they... they 
to be totally honest, they played their brand, which uh, is very similar to the brand of the Western Bulldogs. And we spoke about how it was so free-flowing and it wasn't a typical finals atmosphere. But to be subjected to Geelong's high-pressure... Um, yeah, they did play Geelong, right? I'm getting that right. And then St. Kilda played... St. Kilda played Who? St. Kilda? Oh, no, they played Richmond. What am I talking about? Richmond. St. Kilda played yeah. Richmond. Yeah, sorry. I, was, I kept saying Geelong and I'm like, that's not right. Yeah, so sorry. In the game, when they played Richmond, and it was a thing, right? When we we were watching the game, it looked like big brothers versus little brothers in that they were, again, they were being out-pressured. They weren't able to play that fast style that they wanted to. And a few times, they were able to get it away. Um, But on the whole, St. Kilda will be so much better off for that experience. What they need, they've had two excellent off-seasons. In their best and fairest this year, the top 10, top 10 of their best and fairest, Four of those players were recruits from the most recent off-season. So, they've done so well. And even like turning players like Dan Butler into a, into a, into a star. He should have been in the All-Australian team this year. One of the best small forwards in the competition. Um, mm. Players like revitalizing Zach Jones' career into becoming a really great, almost that like quarterback, halfback um, type player, which is so important in the, in the modern game and in the modern era. I think they need another A-grade midfielder. And they do not grow on trees. But if St. Kilda are to improve and to take their game to another level, that's what I'd be chasing. I just don't feel they quite have the depth. Jack Steele, great player. Um, So great for him to um, do so well on Brownlow night. But I just question how deep they go after that. Like, I... I'm not 100% sure. Like, I really like Jack Billings. I'm just not 100% sure if he is going to be that A-grader that, mm. that, that, that they need. Um, you know, look at Gresham. Like, Gresham's a really attacking, a really exciting player. Is he an A-grade midfielder, though? You know what, you know what I mean? I just feel like they yeah, don't Yeah, no, have... he's, a high, he's a great mm. high-half pinch-hitting forward that can play midfield. Yeah. Yeah, but he's not a, he's not an A-grade midfielder. You I know, Zach think, Jones, yeah. he needs to not ping his hamstring. You know what I mean? <laughs> he needs to get out on the park. Hanabry... You know, his he's best is amazing, but yeah, not is he an A grader? Nah. Yeah. So, look, uh, it, it's not easy, but that's what I'd be chasing. Um, for me, and I know this is a big call, and I've loved St. Kilda's season this year, but they finished six. I am going to... Um, I'm going to say that they're going to fall. They, I still think they might play finals next year, but I believe they're going to be fighting against teams like Carlton, Fremantle, and even Gold Coast, who are all vying for those like six to ten spots on the ladder. I think this mm. higher position, obviously, we we all hope that we're going to go back to the 22 game fixture for 2021. That might their their high ladder positioning, you know, might lead them to have a harder fixture and a harder draw. I just feel like they might be a little bit of victim of circumstances. Circumstances and stagnate or fall. That's what I'm going to um, call for St Kilda. Uh, next one I've got is Port Adelaide. Now they finished first. They were knocked out. Give them a ranking of B plus. Um, now here's here's the thing. They they definitely exceeded expectations in 2020. Mm. Um, but I think once you weigh up the fact that their draw was obviously favourable, being able to play a lot of games in their home state, play in front of home crowds not have to travel as much as other teams. Yeah, okay, they traveled and they, they spent their time in hubs, but they did get, you know, obviously a little bit, you know, a, a bit more of a favorable run, we can say. Um, you know, being able to wake up in their own beds and then, you know, go and play footy in their home <laughs> state, whereas others were traipsing around the whole country. Um, they won the minor premiership, so fantastic season. A lot of people thought, oh, if they don't make finals, Ken's gone. So they've done very well. But they really did let it slip, not making the grand final and having been the best team. And I think, I know we spoke about how Richmond was the best team, Geelong was the best team, but Port Adelaide really, I guess, um, 
shut a lot of doubters, including myself, going into finals, that they were the best team in the home and away season, the way that they played consistently. They were top team after round one, and they were top team at the end of the year, and they didn't go any lower. So that's really difficult to do, and they did it in arguably one of the more difficult seasons. So, um, you know, but missed opportunities in the prelim cost them, and it may be harsh not giving them an A. I just think that, you know, they'd make at least a big dance with their home advantage throughout the finals, so that's why I'm giving them a B plus. What they need, absolutely nothing. They've got every piece that they need to go ahead. They've got the coach, they've got the players to go ahead in 2021 and win it all. However, the addition of potentially a Crouch brother, which has been speculated, Brad Crouch may cross crossover, or um, Fantasia has said he'll either go to Adelaide or Port. Getting one of those two will just dep- give them that depth across mm-hmm. high half forward and midfield. Mm-hmm. Give them like a not a match winner because they've they've got match winners in their team, but give them a bit of spark elsewhere. Yeah. And I just think that they need that extra string to their bow to take them into that. You know, when we're talking about Richmonds and your Geelongs and even your Brisbane's and Collingwoods and West Coast from the last couple of years, you want them to take that next step and not fall off like Melbourne. I don't think they will. I think that they're, they're, they are a better team than a lot of people gave them credit. But um, don't go blowing up this team. Just, you know, try and get a piece that you think fits. I think they'll stagnate. They finish first. It's hard to go any higher. Um, and, you know, really anything, <laughs> anything lower, you know, if they finish top four, um, which I think they will next year. Uh, if they finish top four, they will probably you know stagnate around that first position. So that's my my grad. Yeah, good call. And finally, it's my Lions finished second uh, on the ladder and were knocked out on the preliminary final stage. Now, officially in Australia, we don't have an A minus. It's the same as a B plus, but I'm going to say an A minus because it just sounds a little bit better, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um. Coming into the season, and especially coming into the, probably these final series as well, um, as much as I am devastated that we're not going to be playing in the grand final, um, the the goal for me, or like the baseline to have a successful season, was to win a final. And I think the fact that the Lions were able to do that uh, against Richmond... Uh, who we, there'd been so much speculation about like Richmond's record, the dominance that they'd had over Brisbane, and able to do that is a big tick for this football club. Um, the Lions' four finals in the past two seasons have all been against the sides that eventually went on to play in the grand final. So last year, Richmond uh, in the qualifying and then knocked out by GWS in the semi the following week. This week, um, this year, uh, Richmond obviously beat Richmond in the qualifying final, big tick, and then lost out to Geelong in the prelim. So, you know, it's, it's it, that is it, totally an excuse, but in the same way, it's just showing that, you know, they're coming up against the best teams uh, at that pointy end of the season. And if if Brisbane want to be the best, they want to be a premiership side, they've got to beat these teams. It's, it's not an excuse. Mm. I'm just saying it just kind of shows the, the kind of draw that they've had uh, and their finals matchups. Um. In saying all that, as much as I think that the target was reached, I do still think there's a huge opportunity gone missing here. Um, the fact that we will likely, or the MCG has the um, has the rights to the AFL Grand Final since 2051 or something like that. So the fact that there was 
sitting there on a plate, the opportunity to play a grand final at the Gabba on your home ground would have been a huge advantage on grand final day. Um, I just feel like that was that's a missed opportunity. I think that's what brings the Lions down from an A, you know, like not making it to, obviously not making it to grand final day, but yeah, an opportunity gone begging. Um, what do they need? A key forward. Um, I really enjoyed Eric Hipwood's growth over the past two months, um, but he he and Dan McStay weren't impactful enough in these big finals uh, against... And like Eric Hipwood did some good work up the ground against Richmond, but he really... At him and McStay, I think they had like five touches and kicked one goal between them. Um I think the the Lions and David Noble were really strong on the fact that a key forward, they spoke a couple of years ago about how they were happy with the key forwards they had, but I think you now have to bite the bullet. And the fact that um, recruiting Joe Danaher, a player who wants to walk into the club, work with Dodora, he might do your head in, but if you can get a deal done, I think it's a big step in the right direction for this footy club. Hopefully, What, Fagan- are, you willing to, what are you willing to give up for him? Um, I honestly don't think we need a lot of, of picks at the minute. I think we have... This is the sung, second youngest list in the competition who is who is now played in a semi-final or preliminary final. Um, I don't think we require huge amounts of draft picks. The Lions currently have two first-round draft picks in this in this season. I would be willing to give up one of them. Like it, It's pick 18 and pick 19 in this year's draft. I'd, I'd even say give up pick 18... And if, if they're not happy with that and they want something else, then maybe, you know, we can give up a first and a second and they can give us Joe and a third or something like that. Um, you know, we obviously have our academy players, so it's really important for our footy club to have those later round draft picks. So I think some, I think I'd give up a first rounder. I think last year they blew up the deal because, um, you know, they... Essendon were asking for two first rounders from Sydney, which they didn't have. They were thinking they were going to get one for in, in trading Papley. That never happened. I personally think that Joe Danaher is actually worth less this season than what he was last year. I don't think Definitely. he's worth two first rounders. I think a first and a second would be, and then getting Joe and a third back. I think that's a fair. Like, is, is that does that sound like a fair trade? I think that's a fair trade. I think you're going to have to get rid of your first two first rounders. I think they're going to ask for that. I think that's what they're going to ask for, and I think that's he won't budge on that. And I think if I'm Brisbane, Bloody I'm taking that. Yeah. Because it was noticeable that you needed a key forward against Geelong. The only night. thing, though, right? And, and like, I would trade for I'd trade two first rounders and a future first for Jeremy Cameron tomorrow. The thing is. Mm-hmm. Joe Danaher is currently a broken player who doesn't, exactly. who from all accounts doesn't I agree. like playing footy. Hundred percent. Yeah, he's, he, he could I mean. break down in the first season. Yeah, but the way that Dorio plays, he's in pain I think up. you're going to have to give up too, and I think you're going to have to pay Joe. I don't think you have to pay him too much because I think he understands what his worth is. Um, so maybe like around the five to six hundred mark would be. Mm. You know, he's not going to command the million dollar contract that a Jeremy Cameron might. <laughs> but having said that. I think that the Dora is going to want at least uh, you're going to have to give up a good player and a first round pick or two first round picks to get him. And because uh, I don't want to, because the other the other side is because he's a restricted free agent, so we offer him some mega deal that Essendon aren't going to match. But I don't want to do that because we're going to have players like Jared Berry, like Hugh McCuggies, mm. like Zach Bailey, like Brandon Starsevich, who we're going to need to pay in the, the future. Problem that 
that GWS are facing and Collingwood's oh, facing, obviously, <laughs> you know that you know then you don't want those players walking out. So. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't do not want to start like heaping money into Joe Danaher if you know we're only going to get five six games out of him in twenty twenty one. Look, you know if we can recruit him, uh, if it's manageable, then I think it's fine. Like I said, I, I don't think we don't need first rounders at the minute, especially in what is everyone's kind of saying is this is a bit of a shallow draft. So if we have to pay a little bit extra this year, I know it might look like a, a huge risk and it is a huge risk, but I do think the Joe Danaher, all Australian Joe Danaher of 2018, if the Lions medical staff were able to resurrect Lincoln McCarthy's AFL career, um, obviously we still have Marcus Adam who's who's struggling a little bit, but I think we have a really great medical team. Even like Grant Birchall, he has struggled and he played something like he played he we rested him a couple of times, but he played the majority of the season. I, I really yeah. trust the Brisbane Lions medical team. And I, the other thing that I really trust is Chris Fagan. And I think if there's any coach in the AFL right now who could take someone who's feeling disenfranchised with footy and the league and AFL in general and get them back to performing and enjoying the game and it, like you know as a stretch to enjoying life i think it's probably fagan fagan could create that relationship with danaher um just he's just a, the people's man mate all right um for the lions i'm going to call them to stagnate i do think um they've avoided the melbourne moniker of you know they've um proven that this the talent is real at the Lions, and this team is simply not a flash in the pan. We've seen um, Lockie Neal, best player in the competition for season 2020, uh, mate, could even... Uh, look, to be telling you, the way that he romped in the Brownlow, obviously, you know, season on season is, is ridiculous. You can't, I can't, I'm not going to say he's going to win two in a row, but he is... You know, he, he performed so well la- in last year. He's performed so well again. I can't see him taking another backward step. The only thing I can see is players like Hugh McCluggage and Jared Berry being able to go to another level and support him even more. And play, and again, like Jared Lyons, who's emerged as, as, as an A-grade talent, right? Um, mm. So, I, I think another year of development, another year of growing together. As I said, second youngest list in the competition. I would predict another final series for 2021, finish in that top four bracket, and hopefully the Lions can go one step further. What do you reckon? Do you reckon that's nice. fair? I reckon that's fair. Yeah, definitely, definitely like contending for top four, I would say. Mm. Uh, mate, grand final week. Grand Here final we go. Oh, it's a bit different. It's a bit different this year. Obviously, it's a little bit later in the year, heading towards the end of October. Down here in Victoria, we would normally have the grand final parade. Instead, we've got the thank you public holiday. Uh, <laughs> Which I'm working on. Are you? Oh, mate. <laughs> mate, the, the schools will be shut. I will be enjoying, hopefully, the sunshine. Uh, on grand- mm. No, to be totally honest, mate, I'll be locked in the study doing my thesis. <laughs> The grand final for the first time since 1991 is not at the MCG. It is at the Gabba, as been spoken about. So uh, it's been so widely publicised. It is also not at 2:30. How many people do you reckon are going to be caught out sitting down their TV at 2:30 to only realise that the that'll be finals? Yeah, <laughs> is it 7:30? I'll go to sit down. I'll think, oh, beautiful. Footy's on. Then I'll what, be what in time the is it? Local <laughs> five. I think it's seven. I do believe it's 7:30 p.m. Melbourne's Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Okay. Daylight Daylight Time. Um, because <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's it's six thirty um Brisbane time, which is not daylight savings time. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have Richmond versus Geelong. Who's going to win? What's your margin, Carl? Going Richmond by five, and I think what will be one of the best grand finals um since well, there's only been one, but I think it'll be very <laughs> similar to the Collingwood West Coast grand final. Yep. I reckon it'll be a very tight okay. contest. I don't think we're going to have like blowout like last year or 
Richmond versus Adelaide the year before that, or a couple of years before that. I think these two teams are very well coached. They have a lot of uh, similarities in how they play, and I think it's just going to be a bit of a... a um, a war of attrition between the two. There, yep. there'll be the ebbs and flows that you get in every match, and Richmond might get on top, and Geelong might. I think it's going to be a very close match, and my my mouth-watering matchup is, I just want to see Danger and Dusty go head to head. I just want the, I want both coaches to say, okay, Graham, we're not going to put you on, um, uh, we're not going to put you on Dangerfield today. All right, we just want you to go out there and you know play your role. <laughs> And we're going to get um we don't want uh, Guthrie to to tag this week, you know we're just going to get the two of them to run side by side and I it think that's happen, going to be mate. one of the. It will never. <laughs> oh mate, it's such Can a, you it's a pipe dream. I would love it, but even if they just lined up side by side for like the first centre bounce like that, incredible. But I just don't, I just can't see it happening. <laughs> All right, margin. Yep. Norm. Margin norm for you. For me, uh, who are you yeah. going to say your norm? I'm going to say Richmond by five and Dustin Martin. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm going a little bit more left field. I am going, and look, to be totally honest, even though they beat us in the prelim, I'm going to barrack for Geelong. And I've spoken about like the whole story behind, um, you know, them winning a fourth premiership and uh, and all that. Uh, and, and to send out Gary Ablett uh, with a flag. I think that would be great. But I, that that's what my heart says. But my head mm-hmm. says Richmond. And my margin is by nine points. Uh, for me, the big matchup is, um, you know, we've seen Grimes playing a lot of players this year, but it's the game of Noah Bolter. I think as one of the emerging key defenders in the competition, um, you know, you, you f- forget that Alex Rance, and like again, like talking about through the Brownlow, Alex Rance retired at the start of this season. He, mm. The Richmond back line has not missed a beat since his departure. Mm. And we were saying like, well, they can't win a flag in 2019 without him. They have they have gone from strength to strength down back Richmond, um, so he's the player to watch for me. Even not his matchup, like I think he, he might rotate through um, Jack and uh, sorry he might rotate through uh, Tom or, or even on on Rowan. Um, but not, Noah Bolter is the is the player to watch for me. Bolter's got the speed to play on Rowan, which I think is a yeah. perfect matchup. I think they, you'll see him real try and lock down because Rowan's had a very good final series. Mm. Has kicked a lot of goals, so he's at the back. So because of his speed, he's so fast. Like yeah. um, on that overlap run, he's the first one sprinting back, beating everyone else out. Yeah, so um, Bolter's the player to watch for me there. My tip for the Norm Smith Medal is Shy Bolton because mm. I think, and we saw he, he caught the attention of the umpires on Brownlow night. Uh, obviously, the Norm Smith isn't isn't picked by uh, umpires, but the thing that Bolton does in the second half of this season is that he attacks the scoreboard. But he's a I'm not, I'm not saying he's a bigger pre- presence than Dusty, but I just think that he might just kick his kick three goals, have twenty five mm. touches. And he's almost that. I spoke a little bit about the fact that and and Dusty is the same, and that Dusty has big high pressure moments and his signature fend off. But Shy Bolton is a clearance player who's one of those players who grabs the ball and then runs away from the contest, which is so much more noticeable than your players who grab and kick and clearance or, or quick handball out for clearance. I think you really mm. notice Shy Bolton's work, and I think he's one of the emerging players of the competition. Uh, as much as I'd love Dusty to win th- um, three norms, uh, three, three premierships, three norms, uh, I, my pick is Bolton. Oh, let's Fair call. Big, big game coming up. Let's buy the siren there. 
U-U-T. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us here on the Centre Half Bench Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. Please uh, follow along to stay up to date. We will have our grand final review coming to you after the grand final. Uh, you can uh, leave a little like, um, rate rate our episodes. We love reading your reviews of the show as we go through. Follow us on all the socials at CHB Podcast. Uh, and tell them, mate, about the little show that we run here. We'd really appreciate it. Mate, they're not, they're not in the competition anymore. For the first time this year, it doesn't matter though. Go Lions! Go Pies!